Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I love you guys. I feel like the Lord told me, bring the word. And last week, I told you, said, first time I'm preaching in the midst of four weeks of, 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 of stepping away, and I feel like, I'm like, man, I should have told the church to bring steel-toe boots, man. Huh. I'm like, and it, it was it's just because we picked up where we left off in Hebrews, and it was just a hard word. And you know, that's, that, that's why I like about expository preaching, is you can't dodge hard subjects. It's good. Because we need it all. All of God's words inspired from the, in the beginning to the amen. And we need all of it. And I don't ever want to be a preacher that picks and chooses what we talk about. We want to walk through it because we need all of it. Man, this is, this is the bread of life. This is, this is nourishment to our soul. And today we're picking up where we left off in Hebrews chapter 6. And so if last week was kind of a, not necessarily a hill stomp, but kind of a sterner message. This is like a hug coated in marshmallows. And, um, and it's, not, it's, 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 it's what's there. Because I don't mind stomping on toes week after week. I, quite, I, I'm not going to say I enjoy it. It just depends on who's tall. If, it, if it's Phil's toes, I'll stomp on them all day. But, but today... We're looking at Hebrews chapter 6, and we're in the middle of a series called Jesus is Greater. And in the middle of the summer, the Lord just started laying Hebrews on my heart so strong. And, I, and we, we were going to go into a different series, and the Lord said, no, I need you to talk about Hebrews. And, and Hebrews is such an amazing book because it establishes the superiority of Christ over everything. And it's a challenging book because it challenges us to grow in our relationship with the Lord past infancy. You would be surprised, none of you obviously, obviously, but how many Christians are out there that are stuck in their infancy with Jesus. And so... And it could be any number of reasons why, but Hebrews challenges us to get past the milk and to get to the steak. And today, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to do some overlap because we have to for, for where we're going to pick up. So we kind of hit on the end verses last week where we're starting, so let's throw it up there. Hebrews chapter 6. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. That is a beautiful statement. You want to make certain what you hope for will come true? Love one another. It's a whole theme. Faith, hope, and love will remain. But the greatest of these is love. Jesus said, People will know you're my desires by how you love 
one another. So you want to make certain of what you hope for will come true. What is our hope? Hope in Jesus, hope in heaven, hope in eternal life. You want that to come true? Love. Then you will not become spiritually dull. How do you not become spiritually dull? You love. You love God and love people. Spiritually dull and indifferent. Now keep Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Faith and endurance. You want to inherit God's promises, we have to have faith first and endurance. What is endurance? It's keep going in spite of difficulty, hardship, or failure. You endure how many of you guys have ever ran like a 5K? One, two, three. How many of you guys have ever ran like a half marathon? So those are the people you don't want to talk to. They're insane. <laughs> no, but you, you don't just get up and say, you know what? I'm going to run 13 miles today. You don't wake up and do that. You plan out, like, what, three months out, you start running. And you endure, and you endure, and you endure. And you get cramps as you're running. Have you ever seen a person get a cramp while they're running? Just like. <laughs> and, 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 but they'll keep going, and they endure. If, if, if you take and eat it, what do you do? In the, if, you, if you fall in the middle of a race, what do you do? You get up, and you keep running. There's blood running down your leg. And you keep running. You endure. You push through. Faith and endurance. You will follow the example of those who are, who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Let's keep going. For example, this is where we pick up today. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there is no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Between verse 14 and 15 there, we, we miss the gravitas of then Abraham waited patiently. That waiting patiently is 25 years. Abraham stood on a promise from God. I will multiply you. I will make you famous. I will bless all nations through you. 25 years later, he received what God had promised. God, now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. When I think about an oath today, I personally, first and foremost, I think about a pinky promise with my daughter. Because I'm telling you, if you make a pinky promise to a seven-year-old, 
you might as well have written your name in blood. That is an oath. And she will hold you to it. Dad, you promised. You pinky promised. That means I have to stop whatever I'm doing. And do, the other day I got her too. She said, Dad, if you beat me in this game, I'll make a pinky promise. I'll give you a kiss on the cheek. I'm like, deal. And I beat her. And she's like, oh. She tried to get away. I'm like, sis, you pinky promised. And if you break this promise, I can't trust you. I pinky promised. Then she grabbed my beard and pulled me down to where I... <laughs> Let's keep going. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure he would never change his mind. God took an oath to himself for you, not for him. He wants you to have confidence in what he's saying. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Today I'm going to preach from the title, God Keeps His Promises. Or God keeps his word. God keeps his word. I think we, we all need to say that right now. Let's say it together. God keeps his word. Let's say it again. God keeps his word. Is that not encouraging? When I get discouraged... I tell myself, God keeps his word. I want to I give you three thoughts today about God's promises. The first thought is God's promises don't expire. That is not the first thought. God's promises don't expire. So if you're taking th notes, don't write that. They are God's promises don't expire. The author of Hebrews made a, a, a point. He could have used any number of examples in the Old Testament, but he went back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 12. And God makes an oath to a man. A random man. It's a random, just, Abram was just a random dude from a country of Ur, but God chose him. And he makes his oath in Genesis chapter 12. He's, the Lord said to Abram, this is before he got Ham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you, 
into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those and curse those who treat you with contempt. So I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of earth will be a blessing through you. That's the promise God made to Abram. The author of Hebrews references this promise. But I want, then he references the oath God takes. So we fast forward 10 years, and I'm going to read a whole chapter to you. And it's not going to be on the screen. So it's Genesis 15. So between Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15, there's a 10-year gap. So God makes a promise to Abram. At the age of 75, you will be a great nation. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Um, All nations of earth will be blessed through you. Ten years later, at the age of 85, he still does not have a child. And so we step into chapter 15. It says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Don't be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You will be given, um, you have given me no descendants of my own. So no one, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir for you, for you will have a son of your, of your own who will be your heir. Then look, then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. I want you to get this next verse. It's in verse 6 of chapter 15. And Abram believed God and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. This is why he's called Father Abraham. It's not because he had many sons. He had two sons. Father Abraham had many sons. No, he didn't. That song's full of heresy. Um, no, I'm just joking. It's not. But he didn't, have, he didn't have many sons. He had two sons, but only one son of the promise. But what, so what is the Bible talking about when it says, like, um, he's our father? It's this verse. Abraham believed God. And God counted to him as righteous because of his faith. Everyone who's made righteous by Jesus Christ by putting faith in Jesus is an heir of Abraham because they believe God. They believed him. Abraham was the first to achieve righteousness just by believing God. I want you to get this. God hasn't made an oath yet. God only told him. He only told him, "Go, go look out at the stars. Can you count them? That's how many descendants you have. You'll have. God only made promises at this point, and God's kept his word. Then in verse 7, then the Lord said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to, um, to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure 
that I will actually possess it. The Lord told me, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid its halves on each side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down and tried to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Sometimes we wonder what the presence of, like when we really encounter the presence of God, every time a person's encountered the true, like the like pure, un- filtered presence of God, they were terrified. <laughs> Isaiah in the Old Testament encountered the, he says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a person of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. John in Revelation encounters the presence of God and he falls on his face because he's terrified. He's God. Abram, or Moses saw the 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 backside of God, and it literally made him glow. So, as the sun went down, Abraham fell into his deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for their sins, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given you this land to your descendants and all, all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, Kenizzites, Camononites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Jergeshites, and Jebusites. And I'm only confident about pronunciation of two of those words. Why did God swear to himself? God's promises don't expire. Abraham obviously didn't see the great nation that he, his, his descendants would become, but the Lord promised it anyways. He only ever saw two heirs, and actually both Ishmael and Isaac became great nations because God keeps his word. Even the son that wasn't the son of the promise, God still turned into a great nation. So, why did God swear to himself? He wanted Abram to understand that he meant what he said. God didn't have to do this. One, he's God. Two, Abraham already believed him. You know what I'm saying? Abraham believed God and God gave him righteousness because Abram just took him at his word. 
But God didn't just swear to him or promise him. It wasn't just a pinky promise. God took an oath. And it's kind of interesting because what God did, it kind of seems weird to us. Like, okay, a ram, a heifer, a goat, birds. He cut them down the middle, split them open. That's gross. Why did God, like, why would you, like, imagine the blood. Like, it, that was a mess. No wonder the vultures were trying, like, like Dude, this is all you can eat buffet. Come on. And Abraham's chasing it away. Imagine the smell. But Abram would have understood what was happening. And God did not make an oath to Abram. I want you to understand this. God made an oath to himself on Abram's behalf. And, and he's saying, Abram, you can... I'm going to make a promise and an oath to you that I will keep. And what it meant, what, what, what this meant was when a king would go in and conquer a land. So say, say a king went in and conquered another king. And if he didn't dispose of that king, maybe he, he wanted to set up an empire. And he's like, I'm going to leave this kingdom intact, but I'm going to make this king that I conquered swear an oath to me. So what they would do during this time frame, this is about... 4,000 years ago, what they would do is the conquered king, the one that got defeated, would split calves or bulls down the middle, and then they would walk through them to the conquering king and then pledge allegiance to that king. And what they were saying is, if I betray you, you can do to me what I did to these animals. And that was... That's a big deal. He's saying, so if I betray you, you can cut me down the middle and display me. And that is the type of oath. That's how serious God says, Abram, I'm going to swear to myself because there's no one higher to swear by. If I break my word to you, I will cut myself down the middle. That's how serious it was, and that's how much God was saying to Abram, you can believe me, I will keep my word. Even though you believe me, there might be future generations in your family as you're telling these stories, and they might not believe, and you could go back. No, God made an oath to himself that if he breaks it, we could split him down the middle, or he'll, he'll split himself down the middle. But God keeps his word because it is impossible for him to lie. There's literally no deceit in his mouth. When God gives you a promise or you're standing on a promise from his word, it's different. He keeps his word. There's no expiration date on it. Maybe God's given you a promise. Your children will be saved. Your finances will turn around. Your body will be whatever it looks like. And you're standing and you haven't received it yet. God keeps his word. Abram waited 25 years before the child of promise was even born. And that's after trying to make one himself in his own way. He slept with his, his wife's concubine or servant and created another son to try to fulfill God's promise. But God wanted Sarah to have the child. Because God keeps his word. There's not an expiration date. If God's made a promise to you, he'll keep it. We can take, take it 
to the bank. It's impossible for him to lie to you. So we can literally take refuge and peace in his word. As we stand on his word, as you look at the facts of life, you can stand on his word and have peace because God keeps his word. And the second thing I want to throw at you today, you've already seen it, God's promises are fulfilled. God walked between a bull, a heifer, and a goat for Abram to establish his covenant and that oath. But then, for us, he takes it so much further. God stepped into humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. We're about to celebrate his birth in just a few weeks. Isn't that crazy? 2022 is almost done. But we're about to celebrate the birth of our Lord. And that signifies the greatest Sacrifice ever known to man up until the crucifixion. God confined himself to a human form, laying down his deity, and walked among us for 33 years. For three years of ministry, for three hours of purpose on a cross, for three days in a tomb, to be rose back to life. To establish a greater covenant. To establish a greater oath. God keeps his word. And I, I don't know if you understand this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Some of you will, some of you might not. But the first promise God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says, I will bless all nations through you. Two thousand. Two millennia later between Genesis chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 1 transpire. Thirty something books in the Bible. Thirty, I don't remember the exact number, but thirty something books in the Bible, from Genesis to Malachi, two thousand years. Genesis chapter twelve to Matthew chapter one, and then Jesus steps into humanity to be the culmination of the promise that God made to Abram. God keeps his word. God's promises are fulfilled. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 20-22 says this, For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Someone should say amen. Come on, that was weak. Like, are you guys excited that God has fulfilled his promises? Yes. So let's read it again. And I'll, like That was a practice round. I'll cut it out of the video later. For... All God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding yes. Amen. That's right. And, Christ, and through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. What is our amen? It's when we believe Jesus, we say yes to Jesus. It glorifies the name of God. When we say, God, we believe that you're the son of God. We believe that you died on the cross. We believe that you raised again. We come be Lord. It's a yes to him. And it resounds. We're saying yes, amen to God. And it, and it says it ascends to God for his glory. Let's keep going. It's God who enables us along with you, to stand firm for Christ. 
He has commissioned us. And he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. I'm going to read that verse again. Because it carries so much weight. And he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees. So now God makes promises, God takes oaths, and God guarantees. That guarantees everything he has promised us. Mm. Are you seeing it? God keeps his word, and he wants you to be sure that you can stand on his word. The Spirit of God, when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is given to you as a birth certificate. Like you, you Think about it. The Holy Spirit comes into your life as a birth certificate. It's how God identifies you. The Spirit inside you... Um, Jesus says in John chapter 3, unless you're born of the Spirit, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's not just being saved. It's not just, I'm a Christian. It's, are you born again? Is the Spirit of the living God in you? Because there's a lot of people out there that profess Christ that are not born again. The Spirit of God is not in them. Because it's a condition of the heart. How do you, how do you know? How, what's the, how, how do I know the Spirit of God is in me? Do you believe God? Do you really believe Him? Do you believe that He's the Son of God? Do you believe that He died on the cross? Do you truly believe this? Do you believe that He died for, for your sins? Do you believe that He rose again? Have you truly placed your faith in that? Is, are you depending on that entirely for your salvation, or are you depending on other things for your salvation? Is your faith in him? Have you asked forgiveness and rested in the cross? It's really simple. Do we, do we believe God or not? Because sometimes we say we believe God out of our mouth. It's easy. That's why, it's, that's, that's why salvation is twofold. We confess with our mouth, but we believe in our hearts, and we will be saved. It's not just a confession. There are people out there that are habitual confessors. They will confess every Sunday. They will confess to all, oh, I fell again. And, and I get that. But what I'm, get, what I'm getting at also is, do you believe in your heart? There are Christians out there that wonder, are, am I truly saved? The Holy Spirit is in you to rest assured. You don't have to you never have to doubt your salvation because God himself lives in you. He gives you a new identity. We who are in Christ are a new creation. That's not a figure of speech. You are born of the Spirit. Again, the Spirit is in you. God has put his Spirit in you also as a deposit and proof that you can take all his promises to the bank. All God's promises are yes and amen. Boom. I can stand on all of God's promises. Period. 
I have assurance that I can stand on them. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in me. But the enemy, Satan, the great enemy of our souls, the liar, the, the father of lies comes at us, and he's so good at it. You don't even, he's such a good liar, he puts most politicians to shame. I say most. He's such a good liar that he, when he spews lies, he makes it believable. And because his lies sometimes have truth in them, but they're still a lie, but Satan will come at you. And, and there's so many things that he'll do, but he'll put thoughts in your head. Well, man, this is too big for God to provide. And we'll start to believe it. And, we'll, and what happens is with that is we'll try to figure out how to provide for ourselves. Well, what can I do? What can I do? How can I do? And God's like, chill out. Am I your provider? Are you Jehovah Jireh? Or am I Jehovah Jireh? And, and the enemy, oh, man, the greatest, the greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness is a Christian who believes God. Just, I'm going to take him at his word. He doesn't have to prove anything to me. He's God. God won't provide. Or, man, this diagnosis is terminal. There's nothing they can do. Says who? Oh, a doctor? Man, I, I have nothing against doctors. I, I, I'm quite, they've saved my life. But what I'm getting at is, you know, they have a license to practice medicine. It's practice. They're figuring it out. But we can go to Jehovah, Rapha, the God who formed you in the womb, the God who counts the hairs on your head, the God who knows how many cells are in your body, the God who put your DNA together. We can believe a person who's practicing, or we can believe our maker. But that's the thing. The enemy always comes at us with facts. He'll say, oh, you'll always be single. He'll say, oh, this life doesn't get better. You might as well just resign to it. He'll say, oh, you're stuck again. You're stuck in this loop again in your life. Oh, he'll say, oh, there's no hope. He'll say, you know what? That depression is kind of hitting hard. There's no joy. He'll, he'll remind you. How overwhelmed you are. He was like, man, this is really overwhelming. You should probably go to worst case scenario right now in your mind. Let's just give in to fear and run around in anxiety right now. And let's let fear control our decisions. He'll say, God doesn't love you. He's disappointed because you failed again. You better not go to him. Does any of this sound familiar or is this all in my head? Because I've heard every one of those. He told me when I was in the hospital after having brain surgery, you'll never walk again. Because I was using a walker. College athlete couldn't walk but with a walker. And I had to have a special belt on. And someone had to grip my hip to walk with me so I wouldn't fall. You'll never walk again. You'll never be able to play Sports again. Every single time he does this, I'm going to tell you a secret. Are you, do you want to know it? Or do you want to wait till next week? Okay, I'll tell you. Every single time 
he does this. You can literally declare Jesus. You can declare Jesus. Not because, not just because there's power in his name. Not just because demons flee in the name of Jesus and the sick are healed in the name of Jesus. Not just because strongholds break in the name of Jesus. Not just because the name of Jesus has power. It's the fact that every one of God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus. So when you declare Jesus over a situation, you're telling the situation, I'm standing on the promises of God. They're yes and amen. God won't provide. Jesus is my provider. It's terminal. Jesus is my healer. The depression's hitting hard. Jesus is my joy. You're overwhelmed and it's time to get fearful. Jesus is my peace. God doesn't love you because he's disappointed and because you failed again. God loves me through Jesus. God, Jesus is my forgiveness. You'll always be single. <laughs> Fine. Jesus is all I need. This life doesn't get better. Jesus gives life to the full. You're, you're stuck again. Jesus sets me free. There is no hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. Every single time. You can declare Jesus. I declare Jesus over this situation. Satan, you're a liar. I'm standing on the promises of God because all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Do you smell what I'm stepping in? Declare Jesus. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. He's so good at it, you almost think it's true. But that's a problem. Satan always presents facts. When he presents facts, we got to stand on truth. Well, that's a contradictory term. God's truth trumps life's facts every time. How else can a person get healed? How else can cancer disappear? How else can the dead raise? Hmm. You know, Ryan, you're preaching better than they're talking. I know. Thank you. I'm about to tell you a really gross understatement. I'm going to say it nonetheless. When you have Jesus, you have everything. When you have Jesus, you have everything. Just say it with me. I have Jesus, so I have everything. Come on, let's say it again. I have Jesus, so I have everything. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. In Jesus, we have everything. For life, we have everything. For holiness, we have everything. There's nothing you can do to get more. If we understood how powerful and how amazing the salvation and the redemption of God is, we would never get off our face in worship. 
That's why I said it's such a gross understatement when I say when we have Jesus, we have everything. And the last thing I want to talk to you about is God's promises bring hope and are for you. God's promises bring hope. When you believe God, you can rest. You can rest. I don't, I don't have to give in when I see circumstances. I, I can rest that all these promises are for me. Are you seeing it yet? Are you seeing it? When you believe God, when we stand on his oath, we can stand on his promise. Let's look at verse 18 in Hebrews chapter 6. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. The author is making a really hard case here that the church can stand on God's word. And I believe that we are to the point, we've always been at this point, but it's more evident now than ever, that the church is going to have to make some decisions who we believe. I believe that we're to the point where the church is going to have to start turning off things and start opening the Bible more. We've always been there. C.S. Lewis, he says in the book Screwtape Letters, he says if you can't get a Christian to walk away from their relationship with God, get them distracted, get them busy, so then they will be powerless in the kingdom of God. I once heard a, a pastor say there's two types of Christians. Backslidden Christians and Christians who share their faith. You said this was going to be a hug wrapped in marshmallows, Ryan. That did not, it slipped out. We can stand on the word of God. As we, we can, we can literally take refuge by literally just believing him. When we believe him, when we believe that he's all that we need, it builds hope in our heart. It just does. As we take refuge in him, we can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. So what, what's the hope? That's the question. What's the hope? It's Jesus. It's salvation in Jesus. It's eternal life through Jesus. It's a relationship with our Father in heaven through Jesus. God did all this for you because he loves you so dearly I never want to make the assumption when speaking to people that they're born again 
I never want to make the assumption that I know what's going on in their lives. Even though I might be friends with them, there might be people here today that you love the Lord, but you're not putting your hope in him. Maybe you're putting your hope in our government. Maybe you're putting our, your hope in, in your job, your family, but you're not putting your hope in Jesus. There's only one person that we can put our hope in. It's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that won't let us down. He's the only one that, that, that keeps his word. Your job won't be there in 30 years. You're going to retire. What do you After retirement, what are you going to do? You're going to put your hope in Jesus. You better start now. Your friends will change over time. But man, Jesus is a friend that speaks closer than a brother. Put your hope in him. We know as a church, we know that we can't put our hope in our government. The scariest thing that's ever been said that the government can say is, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. We can't put our hope in the government. But we can put our hope in a kingdom that's ruled by a king. And if you're here today and you haven't put your hope in Jesus, man, even if you're a Christian, you're struggling with this. We're going to have a moment to say, Jesus, I'm going to rest in your word and I choose to believe you, that you're sovereign, that you're God, that you're more than enough. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So faith contains hope, but hope doesn't have to have faith. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. You're not born again. The Holy Spirit is not in you. You've heard the message, but it's so simple. It's so simple. Jesus made it so simple so every person can receive salvation and have a relationship with him. And if you're here or, or going to watch online later or watching right now, it's so simple. It's Jesus. I believe you. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you, you were raised alive to set me free from sin. Forgive me and come be Lord of my life. It's that simple. You, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart and you are saved. Jesus made it so simple. But Jesus just doesn't want to save you. I think that's where the disconnect is sometimes. We talk about salvation. Well, what if your life is great? What if you have a great job and your family's great and there's really nothing going on? Why would I put my, well, I don't need to be saved. Jesus doesn't want to just save you from eternity, eternity in hell. He wants to remake you. He wants to give you the greatest treasure that the world has ever seen, the Holy Spirit and put him inside you and make you into a new creation. Every single one of us in here has the ability to lay hands on the sick in his name and they'll recover. Every single one of us can walk in authority and power and cast out demons in his name. Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe. What do we believe? We believe God. Just like Abraham, I'm going to believe God. 
They will cast out demons in my name. They will heal the sick in my name. They will drink deadly poison in my name and won't harm them. They will handle snakes in my name and they, they won't be harmed. They will speak in new tongues in my name. The, the list goes on and on. 